Hey guys, welcome back to Betsplanation Staff Edition. I'm Dr. Sugarman, if you don't remember who I am. Today we're going to be talking about battery ingestion in our pets. So this is actually a pretty common problem. Lots of dogs chew up things like TV remotes and like kids' toys and garage door openers and hearing aids. Like I hear a lot of dogs that like chew these things up and potentially ingest these things. So we're going to talk about like why this can be such a big problem in our animals. This could really vary. Like it depends on like how big the batteries are, how big our animals are. It's like what the problems can be. Let's talk about what these batteries are. So we have alkaline batteries that they contain things like potassium hydroxide or sodium hydroxide in them, which has a really high pH. So we're just going to review like what pH is and stuff. So that tells you like how acidic or basic something is. So acidic means that it has a really low pH, usually something under seven. So zero to seven. Neutral is seven. And then alkaline or basic is really high pH. That's usually eight and above to 12, if I remember correctly. So ingesting like alkaline is basically ingesting something with a really high pH. And that's what's actually inside those batteries. So this could actually cause something called locofactive necrosis of the tissue. Super big word, right? So it basically just means that it causes the tissue to die and become liquefied. To get a little bit more complex with this idea, so locofactive necrosis, it affects the fat that's around the cell membrane, which holds everything inside of the cell. So if you think about the cell membrane, it's like our skin, it holds everything inside of our body, right? The cell membrane does the same thing, it holds everything inside the body. It just contains fat, just like we do, like our fat is under the skin, but the fat of the cell membranes is around the cell. So it affects all of that fatty material that's in there. This liquefactive necrosis, it destroys the outer portion of the cell and then it penetrates deeper into the mucosal tissue. Mucosal tissue is things like where the mucous membranes are. So like things like your mucous membranes of your gums or the mucous membranes of the esophagus or of the stomach. It's like going to be this really squishy part. So it basically causes ulcers or essentially like burns through the esophagus, which is the food pipe, or their stomach. If the ulcer is really bad, it can actually ulcerate and essentially burn a hole through the entire esophagus and stomach. These ulcers can happen really quickly. So when the pet ingests these batteries, it can happen only one to two hours after ingesting them. We may not actually see the full extent of what this injury can do until about 24 hours after that pet has ingested it. Let's talk about some of the clinical signs that the pet owners might see with battery ingestion. This can be really simple. It could just be that they don't really want to eat, they're drooling profusely. So that's called hypersalivation or tylism is the other name for it. Two more complex clinical signs, which could be like difficulty breathing, which is called dyspnea or vomiting, pain in their mouth or their stomach and cause swelling of their throat. So that's called an oropharyngeal edema. Oro means mouth and pharyngeal is like the very beginning of your throat here. You might also see like white or gray like spots, those are basically ulcers inside their mouth. Um, these signs do have a lot of differentials though. Like just by listing off those clinical signs, I'm already thinking about other differentials in my head. 
like brachycephalic syndrome and our bulldogs, which I need to cover still, or laryngeal paralysis, which I also need to cover, or like Khaleesi virus in cats. Apparently, I have a lot of things I still have left to cover. But it's really hard to know just by looking at them, like what those, like if that pet had ingested a battery, if the owners haven't told us that they ingested a battery. So how will we know if it is from a battery, right? First of all, there could be a couple things. One, when the owner actually sees them chew it up or sees that it's gone, we'll want to make sure that we assume that at that point that they've ingested a bit the battery. Also, the other things is that they have this black foamy stuff that's inside the battery. And sometimes you'll see that around the dog's mouth. And that's a good indication that even if they didn't ingest the battery, they most likely bit into that battery. But if the owner knows that they're missing or not, we still want to take radiographs. Remember, x-rays are radiographs, so radiographs are the correct term. But we usually want to take these radiographs everywhere from the neck all the way down to the stomach. So we're looking for things like the esophagus. We're looking to see if they potentially had ingested it and then it got stuck in the esophagus. We're looking at the trachea, which sits right next to it, but they could ingest it and then inhale it and it actually goes into the trachea or the windpipe. And we also want to go all the way down to the stomach and the small intestines because it could still be in there. We don't know all the time when the dog swallowed it or the cat swallowed it, right? We're looking for those things and luckily on x-rays or on radiographs, this is a very metallic object, so it's easy for us to see. Not like some of the cloth materials, which can be like iffy as to whether it's in there or not. This is very apparent that these, that this is in here. So you'll definitely see it. Now, if the battery is in like it's tiny, tiny little pieces, we could just feed the dog like extra fiber to help it pass quicker, especially if it's not showing any clinical signs. But we also have to remember too, that these batteries contain heavy metals, which rarely they will get a heavy metal toxicity from. But if it's in there for more than two to three days, that is a possibility. That's why we want to give like multiple feedings with extra fiber to try to help move things along quicker. Otherwise, if we see that there's big pieces in there or it's whole or it's leaky, we do want to use endoscopy to be able to get that out. So endoscopy is where you take camera and you go through the throat into the esophagus down into the stomach to be able to remove it that way. Or sometimes it's really difficult to do that. So sometimes we actually have to do surgery. And that surgery is usually a gastrotomy, which means that we're going through an incision through the abdomen into the stomach to remove it that way. Let's talk about our treatment stuff next. So treatment really depends on like how bad the symptoms are. We usually want to perform blood work. We are specifically looking for the pet's white blood cells. We need to know if they're really high or they're really low because that'll tell us if there is a lot of inflammation or if there's already infection that started. If the pet's eating and drinking and their white blood cells are normal, um, then usually they could just be monitored at home for any symptoms over the next 24 hours. But if the pet has like things like ulcers in their mouth, we want to wash that thoroughly with tap water for about 15 to 20 minutes. If the patient is showing clinical signs, though, we need to start doing supportive care. Um, all the medication that we're going to give is really just to try to help prevent that and keep the dog or cat comfortable. It's not going to be something that's going to make it magically go away. So we usually give medications to help the stomach and esophagus from further injury first. So those medications are omiprazole or pantoprazole is the injectable form of that. But both of those will help decrease the acid that the stomach is producing. 
So we decrease the chances of more ulcers or the ulcers getting worse. Sucrophate or caraphate is the other one. So sucrophate or caraphate is something that actually coats the esophagus and the stomach so that again, we try to prevent that alkaline material from getting to the mucous membranes or the mucosa of the stomach and not penetrating through there. IV fluids are really beneficial for pets that are not eating or drinking. So we want to keep them really hydrated. Pain control is another big one. With pain control, usually this is going to be an opioid. So something that's going to be really high for pain. We do not want to give any sort of anti-inflammatory. So no NSAIDs, meaning no thing, nothing like carprofen, no rimadil, no galopran, no medicam, no meloxicam, nothing that is an anti-inflammatory because that'll actually make things worse. That's what these, these do for certain pets. Like it'll actually cause stomach ulcers. We don't want to have something that's already going to cause a stomach ulcer and then give something else that's going to cause a stomach ulcer as well. So we want to stay away from all the anti-inflammatories. Um, they do want to stop those medications for about a week if those pets are already on them. So when we do discharges, we want to make sure that they are not on those medications. And also for the history, super, super, super important, asking them, are they on any sort of anti-inflammatories so that we know to tell them not to give that when they get back home. You'll also want to do things like providing nutritional support. So sometimes those ulcers in their mouth are like so bad. They're so painful. They're not going to eat. So we want to do things that are going to help bypass that, that mouth. Most common things are going to be putting the tube that goes from the nasal passage into the esophagus or down into the stomach. So if it goes from the nasal passage to the esophagus, that's called a nasoesophageal. If it goes into the stomach, it's called a nasogastric tube. But either way, just something to try to help put more food into them so that they don't get, you know, we're not causing more problems with the fact that they're not eating. And then lastly, we also want to provide some antibiotics for them. You know, even though the battery and the alkaline material doesn't contain bacteria in it, that's not what the cause of the infection is going to be. All of these stomach's defenses are like down. They they cannot defend off all the bacteria that the pet is going to eat during the day. And that's just normal things. You have normal bacteria everywhere. We eat normal bacteria all the time. I know that some people are going to get grossed out by that. Sorry, but that is true. We eat bacteria constantly. But the good bacteria that we would normally get, it's supposed to be there to try to help us. But when the stomach lining is not working properly, its defenses are not working, all that good bacteria actually then becomes harmful and it causes what we call secondary infections, meaning that the bacteria was not in the original problem. So it was not in the things that caused the stomach ulcers, but it's going to sneak in there and wreak havoc on the stomach when it has the chance to do. So we want to give antibiotics to try to help with those secondary infections. All right, let's talk about some of the common questions. So I'm sure everybody was thinking as I was discussing how we first do endoscopy and surgery, they're like, why are we not making this pet vomit? So the answer to this is it's not actually good for the pet. So if they eat a battery that is caustic and all that substance is leaking out into their stomach, if I make the pet vomit, all of that caustic substance is then going to leak out as it comes up the esophagus. So that could be really bad. Because we can have things like stomach ulcers that then create esophageal ulcers. 
will have things like strictures that can occur. So where they have scar tissue that makes it really small. So their esophagus becomes really small and they can't really eat very well. There are lots of huge risks to these things. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about those later on when I talk about disc batteries. But you know, there's lots of problems with doing that. Now, would I never, ever make a dog vomit or a cat vomit? No. So if let's say the owner comes in and they really don't have the funds for it to do surgery or to do endoscopy. And they're like, I literally have enough to like, have you see my pet? Then I'm going to talk to them about the risks. It might be a huge risk to allow that battery to just stay in the stomach versus it may not be as much of a risk if I make them vomit. It's really hard to tell, but it's something that I would talk to the owners about and be like, these are our concerns. If I make your pet vomit, it might mean that they get a stricture or it might mean that they aspirate it. Like this could be really bad. But as long as you understand what the risks are, and I document that everywhere, then they need to understand that if this doesn't work, that they have to humanely euthanize their pet. So I don't want to make them euthanize their pet because they can't afford surgery. But if we really have no other choice, I'm going to make them vomit. So at least that way, if they do euthanize, it's because we at least tried. So we do use a drug called apomorphine for making them vomit for dogs. And I do want to just mention this, that apomorphine should not be confused with morphine. So morphine is a pain medication. That's the opioid classes that we were talking about. Whereas apomorphine makes pets vomit. So you can remember this by magical morphine and appalling apomorphine. So magical morphine is going to be what tells you that you're like super happy and love being on pain medication versus our appalling apple morphine, you just feel disgusting. It's also really important too, to talk to owners when they call on the phone. So this is super important for our receptionists that when they call on the phone and they ask, can I give hydrogen peroxide to make them vomit? They should not do that. Remember, I just told you that batteries are made up of potassium hydroxide or sodium hydroxide. You hear the "ide" in there. So hydrogen peroxide is an alkaline as well. So if you give that, it's going to make things much, much, much worse. So we do not want them to give any hydrogen peroxide. We want them to bring them in immediately. What can you tell them to do at home? So one of the things that you can tell them to do at home is to give some chicken broth or chicken noodle soup or tuna water, not the tuna in oil. It needs to be tuna water, but that just helps coat the, the mouth and the stomach and the esophagus until they can get them down to the vet because they need to do that and get them down to the vet immediately. All right, another common question that I get asked about is disc batteries, those little tiny disc batteries. Basically, usually ones that you find like watches or garage door openers or hearing aids. Uh, people typically ask because they're so small, does that matter? There can't be like that much alkaline in it, right? Like they should be okay. Actually, they are still a big problem. They're actually a bigger problem than they were, than regular batteries are sometimes. So depending on the size of the battery, if they have one of those bigger batteries that's in the garage door openers and a little dog or a cat eats it, there's a chance that that's going to get stuck in their esophagus. Versus our bigger dogs, if it's a really small battery, they can aspirate them, meaning they like swallow it, but instead of it going down the food pipe, it goes down the windpipe. So it goes down the trachea instead. And then they aspirate it and it goes into their lungs. Definitely not good. And then 
even though that they're really small, they still have that caustic substance in them. So if they're chewed, it will still cause the same problem as regular batteries. And then one interesting fact about these batteries is that these little ones, they can actually emit small electrical currents in them. So it'll still burn if it's in the esophagus or the stomach or the small intestines, like it just keeps burning it. This type of burning from the electrical current is called current-induced necrosis, or basically the cells die because of the electrical current that's passing through them. The lithium batteries are also like the most dangerous of them because they can cause ulcers within 15 to 30 minutes. Now think about like how long it takes for the owner to get there, the owner's figured out, dog get the battery. They get the dog there. Let's say they even live five minutes away. They're super close. And they get the dog there. They get checked in. They get brought into the back. We find out what kind of battery it is. We take the x-rays to see if it actually ate the battery. We find out that it ate the battery. I now have to go talk to the owners about putting them under anesthesia to try to get it out. We have to set up the endoscopy unit, hope that we get it out the first time on the endoscopy unit and also sedating them, right? Putting the catheter in, intubating them. There is no way all of that will happen in 30 minutes. There is just no way. There's so much to do there that there is a good chance that they will become, they will start to get ulcers because of this. So, you know, time is of the essence when they do ingest a battery. So if they do ingest a battery and the owners are willing to do it, you need to get like on it right away to putting the catheter in, getting the blood work done, getting them under sedation, getting endoscopy set up. It's, it's like a very quick process, unfortunately. Also, I do want to, to note that if you think that this only happens in animals, it actually happens in people as well. So there was a paper that was published in 2022. It is called Disc Battery Ingestion. And it stated that of the 56,535 button batteries that were ingested by humans over a 19-year period, 68.1% of them were ingested by children who were younger than six years old, which you can see, like, if you have kids, you know that they put freaking everything in their mouth when they're younger. Like everything. I don't know what it is, but everything goes in their mouth. So I get 100% see them ingesting this. Okay. So now that these still a good chunk of people who have put this in their mouths, right? So from kids that were six to 19 years old, 19 years old, 23.3% of them were ingested by that age group, six to 19 years old. I don't know who thinks that ingesting a battery at 19 years old is a good idea. I don't know if this is on a dare or some TikTok thing that's just like, oh, I got to do this TikTok challenge or whatever they're called to, to eat this battery. Bad idea. Now, if you're like doing the numbers here, we still have a, a good chunk or a good percentage of other people. So 10% of these button batteries actually go to patients who are 60 to 89 years old. So as you can see, this is like not just an animal thing. So if somebody's like, we're missing the batteries, we assume it's the dog. They need to start thinking about everybody who was in that house when that happened, because it potentially could be the six-year-old, it could be the 19-year-old, it could be the 80-year-old who's in the house. Who knows? So they need to like also think about who else is in the house. It's not just the dog. It's not just the cat. It can be other people as well. And another common question I get is about charcoal. So people ask, can charcoal be given? Because we think that we give charcoal and it just absorbs everything, right? 
That's not the case. Charcoal does not absorb everything. There are definitely things that it does not absorb. So one of these things is going to be this alkaline material. So it works locally on the esophagus and the stomach. It's not something that gets absorbed and like works specifically on the mucus area. So it works like specifically on the lining of the stomach and on the lining of the esophagus. It's not going to work if you give the charcoal. Instead, we want to give all those other things that we talked about. I don't know why, but people go online and they find that they should just give charcoal and then they go down to the store and they get these random charcoal things. And I've had somebody who gave charcoal and their cat became super neurologic. And then when I was asking this person about the charcoal, they said that they, they gave it from a feed store because they read that it would help with toxins because they assumed that their cat got into a toxin, but then it made the cat super neurological because she gave a lot of the wrong kind of charcoal and that actually brings their sodium way up and that causes them to be neurological. So when people call and ask, can we give charcoal? That is a no, do not give charcoal in this situation. Really don't give any charcoal in any situation at home because they give the wrong charcoal all the time, but especially in this situation, no charcoal. All right, so that is it for my battery ingestion talk. Hopefully that was not too much information. I tried to make this kind of a shorter one. And I'm just going to talk about my fun story for the week. I don't know how fun it was, but I had to work my overnight shift on Sunday night. And then I had to go to jury duty on Monday morning. This was last week. It was definitely rough. I was already tired, but as I'm like standing in line waiting for jury duty, it was just so crazy hearing all the, the excuses that people had and how upset they were to be there. So one some of these excuses, one person had said this guy who was just like, I just don't have the time. And so all the other people were like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, I'm retired, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> okay. Somebody else was talking about how if she wasn't at her job as a psychologist, that people would start to commit suicide. And I was like, oh, I do see that. That really sucks because there's nobody there who they can talk to. But then she starts talking about how she took a six-month maternity leave and she had to go out on this vacation and that vacation. And I was like, then it doesn't really matter if you're gone for a week now, does it? Because you do that a lot. So I'm sure there are other people in your clinic that would be able to step up if there's a problem. Also, there are suicide hotlines. Just saying. Didn't say this to her, obviously. I'm just saying. And then another guy said that he was super afraid of cops. He's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do jury duty because I'm afraid of cops. Okay, but there's no cops there. The closest thing you get is like a bailiff or the security guards that you have to go through to get into the building or maybe the cops that are on the stand, but there's not really any cops there. I, I don't know. I will say I did try to get out of it, but it wasn't like, I wasn't openly to everybody being like, I shouldn't be here because of this. I just handed them my letter and said, hey, I work nights. There's really no other person to work nights. Um, I'm the only one. I have to work later on this week, so I really should be able to get out of this jury duty. And they said, nope. Doesn't matter, can't get out of jury duty. And I was like, does it matter then if I've been awake since 3 p.m. the day prior? Because now if I stay the whole day for jury duty, I will be up for 24 hours. Actually, it would be 25 hours. So I think that that would be a terrible idea. 
but they still made me stay. <laughs> so I only had to stay till 11 a.m., but that was still a really, really long day. I was very tired by that. I had to do a lot of walking to stay awake. So well, if you think that you're going to get a jury duty from that, I, you got to give them some excuse that you, like a personal excuse. They said that it can't be just that you are the only veterinarian that's going to be there or you're the only veterinary technician that's going to be there or the only receptionist that's going to be there because that's apparently on your job and not you. So you have to give them some personal excuse. You can't sit for long periods of time or you own a business or whatever it is. Yeah, so that was, that was my very interesting jury duty. And actually, the reason why I got excused at 11 was because I had was put on a jury. And then when they decided to go through and select the jury pool from the jury pool, because I was in the jury pool, when they decided to go and select from the jury pool, they uh, dropped the case. I don't know what happened, but they dropped the case. And I was like, thank goodness, I'm going home and sleeping. I still had to call in every day, so I still wasn't sure if I had to work or not. But um, luckily, I didn't get called in. So, all right, guys. Hopefully, if you have any questions, obviously, always come grab me, talk to me, email me, text me, whatever. And I'm happy to answer them. And if you have any episodes you want me to do, I'm going to be doing Dr. Z here in the beginning of August. So we're going to talk about diabetes and we're going to talk about uh, health certificates. That will be coming up. But obviously, like I said, any topics you want, just let me know. Thanks, guys.